Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now. And if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling. Meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I'll just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Put your phone on silent, Alvin. Yes, ma'am. Because you know it'll go off. Alvin, what kind of wood are we burning there? That right there, I think that's some hackberry. That, hackberry. That bigger stump right so there. So we're, we're sitting around a hackberry fire. It's November the 3rd, and we're in southeast Oklahoma. And you may have heard of One Week in November, which is Meat Eaters, Meat Eaters Whitetail Show. We're down here whitetail hunting. And uh, I've got a very eclectic group of guests um, that I'm going to introduce individually. Jerry, do you know that typically the Bear Grease Render, which that's what this is, this mm-hmm. is a render. So Bear Grease Podcast is where we where we have a documentary style, big, robust story. The Render is where we just gather up a group of people that talk about it. Typically, there's there's one group of people, which is my wife, Brent Reeves, who now we all know have undercover. suspect... <laughs> we're, we're 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 curious of his reasons for being my friend. Uh, my dad, um, Josh Spillmaker, Misty Newcomb, my lovely wife, and then a sixth person that bounces around from a lot of different people. For the last several weeks, I've been on the road, and so I've been having renders with all kind of different people. And you get really pe- people like that, 
but they're but they're they also like the the regular crew. So anyway, it's it's good to be in Southeast Oklahoma. I'm I'm being really hosted here by Alvin and Sherry Grigg. Man, Alvin, I was trying to think. We met. I I actually I almost know exactly how long ago it was. Seven years ago, because Fern, my plot coonhound, is eight years. Well, she'll be eight on November 11th, and she was about a year old, and I she was year and a half old. No, you're shaking she, your head. She was younger than that. She was she was. I, he hadn't really even started in the woods yet. Really? Yeah. You called me because I had some. Uh, Steve Hurd's bloodline, Bluff Creek. You didn't, mm-hmm. and and actually, actually, the one we had was Sherry's dog. But, anyways, and, and Steve would give you my number, and I remember she was she hadn't really. I mean, That's I'm right. gonna say she was six or eight months old. You know, you'd started fooling with her, but I don't think you'd actually been. I remember her first coon she had treed. And you remember telling me? I remember you telling me about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I, I want to come back to that. I'm gonna introduce everybody, but. I, that's a big story, and I want to tell it. Alvin and Sherry Grigg. Sherry, say hi to everybody. Hello. Great. <laughs> Sherry, It's uh, this is going to be fun having you on here. So there to my right, directly to their left, is big, dirty Dave Gardner. Dave, good to see you, man. Good to be here. Say this ye. Your, this is your first time on the <laughs> render, right? Yeah, first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> <laughs> everybody here thinks Dave looks like Dale Brisby, so <laughs> got Old the son. big stash and... I pretty much just be the hair yeah so dave tell us what you do uh i'm a photographer and camera guy yeah me and dave have been we were counting today we've been on five shoots together so you know shoots that like last over a week usually so we've spent a lot of time like standing like uncomfortably close together in a tree (laughs) a lot of time sitting in a tree together yep right uh well we're gonna get back to you dave to my left Brian Ringles, also known as Rhino. You, man, you're the first official farrier, real live farrier that we've had on the podcast, and I got some questions for you. All right, I got some answers. Good. <laughs> Farriers have a lot of answers. <laughs> I found that uh, it, it may not be farriers that are passionate people, but people that are around farriers and equine people, man, they see you doing anything on a horse or mule hoof. You get a lot of opinions, don't you? Yes, sir. Very many. So, how long you been chewing horses? I've been full time eight years in this coming February. Eight years. Yeah. Is that a good profession to be in? It's been good to me. Really. I wish I would have started it when I was twenty five instead of thirty five or forty. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it's been real good to me. Yeah. You shoe Alvin's horses. I have in the past, yes. Do you shoe your own horses, Alvin? No. I tried uh, one time I was going to shoe my own, and all he got was fronts. <laughs> all he got was fronts? Yeah. Yeah. As far as I made it. Well, we're going to have to come back to the to the horseshoeing thing, mm-hmm. all right, because I got, I got some questions. But I got to finish my introduction. To your left is Brian Jumpy. Yep. Brian, tell us what you do. I'm the uh, Cole County Sheriff. Cole County, Oklahoma. Yes, sir. You're the sheriff. Yes. We called in the law for this, man. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, outlaw. Called in the outlaw. Well, we had, to, we had to call in the law to talk about the outlaws. How long you been sheriff over here? Uh, ten years. Been sheriff for ten years and uh, been law enforcement for 17 okay. total. And so being a sheriff is an elected position. Yes. So you, you got to be a politician. Uh, I'm not too good of a politician. But good enough to win the election. 
You know, this is like, I'm a grown man and know this, but I've never really heard anybody explain it. You have city police departments that have jurisdiction inside of cities. Right. And then sheriff departments have jurisdiction inside of counties. Right. And so they're taking care of rural issues and rural people that aren't, don't have a specific assignment to a, to a, to a city. Is that right? Right. We also work the city too. We have jurisdiction in the whole county. Okay. Is there anything that specific that a sheriff would do that just like a city police officer wouldn't do? Like types of crimes or is it? No, it's all about the same. Just all about the same. Yeah. What What would you say you spend most of your time doing as sheriff? Paperwork, office work, budget meetings. Really? Don't spend a lot of time on the street no more. So you're managing people. Right. Managing the, the whole outfit. Yes. Is that is that good or bad? Uh, it's, it's got its good days and bad days. A lot of bad days on it. But yeah. you're, you're either on top of the world or on, or on bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's no yeah. in between. Yeah. It's either going really good or really bad. Alvin, how long have you known Brian? Oh, uh, they call him Jumpy. I, I hesitated. Jumpy. I've known him my entire life, and we've been great friends for probably 95, 6, about 95, 96. We've been really close friends since then, but I've known him when I was a little baby kid. You know, I knew him. Yeah. Hey, you were gonna, you were, you told me you, you had a interesting entry point into law enforcement. Yeah. How, how'd you get into it? Yeah, that's kind of a long story. I don't know if you got time to hear all of it. Yeah, we do. But uh, I never got along good with law enforcement my whole life. And when I was about 34 years old, I had a buddy that was in law enforcement. And he come knocking on my door one day. And I opened the door and seen my buddy. He was standing there in uniform. I thought, oh, that's, this can't be good. <laughs> you know? And I said, uh, what are you doing here, Jerry? He tells me. He said, well, we got a job opening down here at the city police. And thought you got the right temperament to make a good cop once you put your application in. I said, no, nah. I said, Jerry, I don't even like cops. He said, I don't, I don't think I want to be one. He goes, well, just come out and ride with us a couple of weekends and see if you like it. Well, I got to riding with them on the weekends. Well, I got to liking it. I thought back in, we was all hog hunting a lot. I thought, heck, this is a whole lot like hog hunting. You go catch a bad guy, tie him up, and throw him in a pen like you, like we'd catch a hog, tie up, and throw the hog in a pen, keep him. Then uh, I eventually got hired on. It took a while to get hired on. I got hired on about a year later. I was 35 hmm. as well, like RT. Yeah. And uh, I thought, man, this is going to be the best job ever. I'll be able to work evening shift, and after work, I'm coon hunt all night. Hmm. And I'll coon hunt all night, and I can sleep the biggest part of the day and get up and go to work and catch bad guys and go coon hunting again. Sounds like a good plan. It is a good plan. It didn't work out that good, though. <laughs> if you had any guesses of why this sheriff is the first sheriff on the Bear Grease Render podcast, you've just heard why. This man's a coon hunter. Hog hunter. Hog hunter. It used to be a rodeo so, clown. So, carry on. Well, that's really about it. I got, I got started, and... And when I got started good, I thought, well, I'm going to be sheriff one day. Really? So that that was like a career ambition. Yeah. You were like, I want to be the sheriff. Yep. And here I am. So. What's it take to be a good sheriff? Patience. You know, uh, 
you got to have good deputies. Your deputies is what makes a good sheriff. If you ain't got good deputies, you don't have a good sheriff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to manage your team. Right. How many deputies do you have here in this county? I usually have about nine. I'm shorthanded right now because I've had to get rid of some of them. Yeah. Big Dave, you got any questions for for Brian? Any law enforcement questions? Yeah, actually, we were talking about this earlier, Clay. Uh, now, why, if you were to pull somebody over and you're looking at their license and registration, oh, yeah. would you ask them to come and sit in the front seat of the car with them? Depends on the person. If you look like a shady individual, and I thought you was... Like Alvin? Like Alvin. <laughs> or if I thought you was holding dope or been drinking... I'd invite you back to the car. A lot of times. To sit in the car with you. To sit in the car with me. They train you not to do that. But that's a good way to get them in a car and go talking to them. You can smell alcohol on them or, Hmm. you know, get talking to them and might might have some dope in the pocket. You talk them out of the dope. Probably get a little more nervous sitting back there with you, don't they? Yeah. You know, so tell them your story. I mean, basically me and him had the same story. Uh, Just that random, like a totally normal traffic stop go ahead oh yeah i was just working a gig one night i was filming filming a show and on the way out of there i rolled through a stop sign and sure enough there was a cop right there and yeah he asked me to come and sit in the front seat of his car while he was checking my license and registration insurance and then he didn't even give you a ticket didn't even give me a ticket let me off with a warning yeah nice guy it was the mullet dale It was the mo- now I, I had the same thing happen in uh, I think I was in South Dakota and had a state trooper pull me over in the middle of the day. I was going just a few miles over the speed limit, and he he was he he was real nice, and we'd been hunting in Canada, and he was he was like, hey, you were going a few miles over, no big deal, but we like to keep it, you know, right there on the limit, and gave him everything, and he was like, hey, come sit in the car with me, and I was just like, it it kind of wigged me out. I was like. What are we doing here, man? And uh, anyway, yeah, he just yeah. And, and when I got in the car, he just we talked about hunting for like twenty minutes in his car. Probably a fan. No, no, this was probably years listener, ago, man. Listener, this was years ago. Years ago. Yeah, it's checking you out. Really? Make, make, so make sure he, he wasn't he a bad guy. He didn't just want to chat with me, right? He had suspicions. Yeah, I'll be darned. What's What's the main thing going on around here that you guys are? enforcing in terms of the law uh drugs and stealing really just theft and yeah. drugs yeah they go hand in hand really yeah yeah that's our main crimes around here is theft and drugs theft and drugs well that that's really interesting i, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on rt i gotta tell you guys a story rt called me on the way here like after dark driving here and RT, you know, I mean, in our conversation, like we're it, it see it, it, we're just like buddies, you know, talking. But it surprised me to see his name come up on my on my on my phone, and uh, so I picked it up. And he's he's <laughs> he I should have known he was trying to get me, but he said, "Clay, how you doing, man?" And he was real serious. And I said, "I'm doing good." And he said, "I got a problem." This is the first time he's called me since the podcast came out. He said, I got a problem. And I said, oh, man, that's not good. What, what's going on? And he said, man, 
ever since that podcast came out, I've been getting threats. I've uh, I've already got one, two, three, four. I mean, it, it, and I just was thinking, oh no, I've got this guy in trouble. And uh, he let me think it for a minute, and then he was like, "Clay, you know I made a living lying, right?" <laughs> and then he started laughing, and he he had some guys in there that was he has a he has a he's an outfitter, and uh, he had a bunch of guys hunting with him. But anyway, RT's an outfitter now. Yeah, he is. He sure is. So I wouldn't trust him. He lies. <laughs> yep. Hey, y'all are all hog hunting buddies. That, and that's the reason I know Alvin is uh is from Hounds. And uh I've said this to Alvin before, but I'll say it again. I Alvin what little I know about hounds, a lot of it came from talking to Alvin. Now we've never hound hunted together. Y'all have come up and squirrel hunted with me. We we've never I've never hog hunted with you. But that going back to our original conversation of when we met, I'd called you about trying to get a plot. And uh and you we talked on the phone for basically the fir- first two years of Fern's life. Now I was giving you the play by play of what she was doing and uh you were really good at articulating the hound world. Was the first say? first time we met you when you come to the hog band? Well, that's the first time I would have seen you guys. Yeah, I mean, but me seen, and I yeah. were buddies I mean, seen before that. You yeah. coming, your daughter. Yeah. Talk to me about these dogs. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I taught you everything you know. I mean, if that's what you want. I mean, <laughs> you I mean you, if you, any questions you ask me, if I felt like I had to answer, you know, I would try to do the best I could do to answer it, you know, other than yeah. that. I mean, a lot of stuff you were seeing, you know, might have been some of the first experiences you had. I mean, I know you couldn't have before, but some of the stuff you were explaining to me, yeah. you know, I had seen before and I was like, well, I think this is actually what's going on. You know, don't be too concerned about it or whatever, you know, it's just yeah. kind of general conversation that I'd have with anybody or you'd have with anybody if you knew. Yeah, yeah. And y'all do this. This is hog country, man. They're pretty much hogs all over this part of the world. Pretty much, yeah. Brian, tell me how. Tell me about your schedule as a farrier. Like how many, how many horses are you shooing every day? Oh, I try to keep it if I'm shooing something all the way around. You know, in the five or six a day range, and then if I'm trimming, I'll try to cut it off around twenty. You know, in the fifteen to twenty. Okay. And uh, I keep. Most of my clients on a six-week rotating schedule. Six-week rotating schedule. Mm-hmm. You got to have a tight schedule. I mean, you you, you got to manage it to get people in there, and 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 that seems like a the farriers I've worked with. That's been a challenge for me to be to fit their schedule. It can be tough, you know. You got to juggle. Life happens to everybody, so you got to juggle all of their schedules into yours. You yeah. know, I mean, they have families, things come up, doctor appointments, what have you, you know, so you kind of got to juggle all that, but it's, it's doable. Yeah. Um, so I trim just the front feet of my mule. Back feet typically stay pretty tight. Is that okay that I don't ever trim her back feet? Yeah, you, you... Normally won't have as much trouble with the back feet because a horse carries 60 to 70% of their weight on the front end. Okay. You know, so uh, the majority of your problems come in the front. You know, I'm not saying you never need to trim the back, but it's generally doesn't, the problems won't show up there as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the front tires on your truck 
wearing out before the back tires. Yeah, you buy new tires, you put them on the front and put the old ones on the back. That's right. Just buy two at a time. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's the way y'all do it here. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years, made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Alvin, tell me, and Sherry, Sherry, never in my life have I heard Sherry Grigg not talk in like a span as long as we've been out here. (laughs) So, Sherry, I need to hear from you too. There's two things that you should never put on social media. Two things. One of them is anything that has to do with beekeeping. Okay? 
If you have a beehive, keep it to yourself. <laughs> All right? They will steal it. No, no. I mean, no, they, I don't know if they'll steal it. You will get more advice than oh. you know what to do with. <laughs> passionate advice. Beekeepers are the most passionate people. They'll they'll stalk you. They'll want to come to your house. They'll private message you from like every angle possible to try to get you, to tell you, you know, like this thing you're doing. They're passionate people. And then the other group is horse people. So I had a couple of videos. Just, I mean, I, man, I had a farrier that was coming to my house. He, he came probably four times in, in just random times to put shoes on my mule when I was going out west. And he was a real nice guy, and he was just like, Clay, you ought to be able to do this yourself. He said, I'll teach you how to do it. And so he just showed me how to trim her feet and how to put shoes on her a couple of times, and I'd just watch him and ask questions. So ever since then, I, I've done it myself. Okay. And so I put randomly, we'll put uh, a little video up of me trimming Izzy's feet. Right. And it's it's like the sky fell. People people going wild. <laughs> I need to show all. you that video to right. tell me if, if if I'm making a train wreck. But well, she's still she's still sound. She's still going. Yeah, so you're doing something right. There's a little uh, button. There you go. Play <laughs> on social media. You can push block, and you don't have to listen to that crap. <laughs> you can push block. <laughs> I hear you. So Sherry, tell me about your dogs. What kind of dogs do you have? Plot hound and a corgi. Plot hound and a corgi. Tell me <laughs> tell me about your dogs. I love my dogs. They're awesome. What What's the bloodline like? In, in your hog hunting with them, what What? Tell me about them. A lot of them are bloodline, aren't they? We uh, off across yeah, he made a long time we, ago. We got some dog. I got a female from uh, Jerry Gosnell several years ago. She would have been about. If she was alive. She'd have been about ten probably. She's Jeep's mama, and Jeep is uh, fixing to be eight. So yeah, she'd have been about ten probably if she's still alive. And. Pretty much everything I got, I mean, we can trace it back to her, you know. I mean, or sit, Chili, Chili's Jeep's daddy, yeah. You know, and uh, we pretty much bred her offspring, you know, to outside males, you know, and then bred yeah. them back to our dogs. And some of them's family tree don't fork out too <laughs> awful good, but it's kind of that's what you want, though. Well, it's what I think works good. Now, you're the name of your kennel, what's on the papers of all your plots is how do you pronounce that? Okany, 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 that's you're, the name of this at, community, you're at Okany right now. When it, was, when it was Indian ter- Territory. Yeah, when when uh, it was Indian Territory, this was called Okanee. And when me and Sherry first moved here, which... Moved here. I lived here anyway. Uh, several years ago, there <laughs> used to be a, a little school that was down there, and they moved it over to Clarita. And it's right down here at the corner. If you go straight north right here at our place, the county road curves, and that corner right there was considered Okanee. And there was a school there, and it stood there for several years until a few years before me and Sherry got married, and they moved it over here to Clarita. Mm. It's, it has since fell down and everything, but there's actually still a graveyard back in there. And he moved here. I lived here since I was 12. Yeah, sure. Really? So here. you yeah. lived right yeah. in this area. Okay. Yeah. This was my mom and dad's place, and yeah. we lived next door until my yeah. mom and dad passed we, away. When me and Sherry really? got married, we bought the the place that joins next to here. Okay. Yeah. And I've lived here with her, Sherry for 20 years, but she's lived here, like, say, for 30, probably 35. 40. Yeah, let's don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Alvin, describe for me the, the, the plot hound world. Like, like these guys like Roy Clark. Like a lot of people would have heard me talk about Roy Clark in East Tennessee that has Laurel Mountain plots. Yeah. And then, but you have the same thing going here uh, with, with <laughs> your, your <laughs> kennels. Not quite like Roy's no, guy. I mean, just what I'm saying is describe, describe kind of like how, how groups with these 
line bread strains people are, of dogs. People want their their stuff, and their stuff's the best, and they don't like to outsource it. Well, it's not so, so much. much. No, I mean, or it's not so I, much that they it? feel like yeah. their stuff is the best. It's just that I do. I mean, <laughs> there's so many when you're raising dogs. There's so many pups in a litter. You know, you obviously can't keep them all, and you want to know what they do and how they perform. Kind of keep kind of quality control on your on your product you know what you what you're producing what the bloodline's producing you know and everything and you kind of get you get you a small circle of some guys you can trust you know and and here's our circle and uh mm-hmm. and you just <laughs> kind of share your dogs you know and that's just kind of way you do it and it's on i mean it's just a blueprint of what roy's done you know i'm just trying to do i mean I, he, he's as good as it gets you know as far as i'm concerned he's a legend in the sport you know and and breeding and hunting and everything and and you see how he's done it. You know, he, he he said it more than once on your podcast. He couldn't do it by himself because it's just so many dogs, you know, and yeah. it takes so many people, you know, to keep it going. And and he's got him a small, tight-knit group, and, and they're all working together, you know, and that's that's the only way you can do it. One guy can't feed 60 head, you know, and it takes literally takes nearly that many dogs to really get a good thing going, you know. I mean, yeah. and Brian Ringles and Jumpy's had some of my dogs, and – then I've got some more friends around here, you know, that's had some, and that's that's just the way I've tried to do it. We got a whole heart in Wisconsin. Try to do it. Yeah, yeah I got <laughs> Wisconsin. Yeah, you, got Barrett, you go up to Wisconsin and hunt yep. in different parts yep. of the country. Yep. Yep. Barrett, Barrett Hog in yep. Wisconsin, different places. They come yep. down every year to our Wisconsin buddies. Yeah. Paul Hog goes. hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Why plot hounds? Sell me. Oh, don't get us started. I, oh, wanted, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted this dog... A long time for he didn't. He wouldn't get me one until he wanted one. Oh, really? You wanted plot hounds first? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Yes, you did. Tell, yeah. Come on, tell me. I, I didn't. Mean, get, I, and I, we were out there staying in West Virginia, and he knew. Yeah, that's. She wanted one when I was uh, had cur dogs and crossbred dogs. You know, she always liked the plots, brindle color. You know, and I did too. You know, I mean, like ears. Did you but, just like them because of the color? Sherry. I just want hound. I was raised. My brother <laughs> coon hunted all my life. Yeah, and, she uh, likes hounds. I like hounds. And I like it there. I think they're pretty. And we was staying out there in West Virginia for a while, and I got to noticing more and more of them out there. Didn't have any idea about them. I just wanted one. And truth is, I mean, that's that's pretty much how it worked out. I mean, I was out there, you know, and met some hound hunters. Didn't really hunt with anybody out there, but met some hound hunters around there, and plots were pretty popular out there, you know. And I got to send them around there and and got a few phone numbers to some people, you know, and and she more or less talked me into it, you know. And and first one I had was pretty good when it comes from Eugene Walker. It was a Pocahontas plot. Her yeah. name was Bear. And we called her okay. Bear. And uh, yeah. liked her and got some from Curtis Walker. You know, you went mm-hmm. and met him, and and then I just got started trying different bloodlines, and then I got really intrigued with how how each bloodline was like a breed all in itself. You know, what I mean, just like yeah. you could take a like Curtis Walker's dogs were. Nothing like Eugene's, and they were still plots, you know. Just they've just been bred different for years. Steve Hurd's a fine. You can tell a Steve Hurd dog just by looking at it. And it got mm-hmm. interesting. It really got interesting to me. That's when I got into the kind of the breeding aspect of it. I kind of got interesting to me, but because how people could literally mold something to themselves, you know. What I mean, it's like to fit the style of yeah, their hunting. Exactly. Yeah, you could take. You know, I mean, it's, it just got interesting, and I just got consumed with it. You know, and I just, I mean, it's just it's how it all worked out. Well, you're the one. Sherry who- started it. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Sherry. Because I was going to say Alvin is the one that really sold me on plots, even after I had one. Because I got a plot almost on accident. Steve Heard and uh, um, the dog. Uh, what was the dog's name? Buster. 
Gunner. Gunner, yeah. Do you, yeah. Bear Path Gunner. Bear Path Gunner. First dog that we ever did a legendary bear hound article in for Bear Hunting Magazine, completely coincidentally, was about Steve Hurd's dog, Bear Path Gunner. I mean, just totally random. And uh, I got to know Steve. My kids were the right age. They needed a dog. We had gone years without having a dog, and they were just right for a dog. And uh, so I, I ended up getting what I believe was a kind of a a dog that didn't make the cut for what Steve wanted, to be honest with you. Because I told him, I said, I don't want a dog that hunts real hard. I want one that will kind of be a pet. And anyway, I get this dog from him, bring it home, six months old. He tells me all this dog's going to do. And uh, when it was 11 months old, it came in and did really good for me. And But, so I called Alvin, was going to try to get another plot. And Alvin was like, man, you don't need, you, you pretty much told me you'd help me find a pup, but you didn't think your bloodline would coon hunt the way I wanted one. Exactly. Is that about right? That's exactly right. hundred percent. So I mean, you didn't I, try to sell had, me a dog. I had some. I we don't, we don't have dogs that are. I would have given them to if I thought they would have worked for uh, me. What don't make our cuts old. They, uh, they don't, they don't make it. Yeah. Oh, if, well, anything, if anything, we, he takes pride in his dogs and not putting off a lot of crap. I mean, I mean. Yeah. Hog, dogs that are bred for hog, I mean, there's stif- specific traits and skill sets you breed for for hogs. You know, you don't, that's got nothing to do with, I mean, it's like I was saying a while ago, how these guys can shape these bloodlines to match their dogs, you know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my dogs ain't going to tree worth a flip, you know, and I knew that, you know. But they got some tree bred into them, obviously, their plots. But, yeah. I mean, I haven't bred for that for years and hadn't bred for cold trailing coons and stuff, you know. And I'm just, I knew the percentages would be so low it wasn't worth your time to mess with it, you know. So I didn't. And, but you taught me about the the cult of the plot hound and and i mean really you're the one who sold me on these guys like roy clark and eugene walker and i mean all these guys that were big plot men and kind of how neat that was we've met a lot of interesting people cult, cult would be a strong word but it but it's kind of no. i mean <laughs> it, it uh what do you it. think brian's it's, i call it's it about right it's, isn't it's pretty right. close yeah. pretty close I call it tight yeah. circles, you know, I mean, it's just... No, I'll go with a cult. And now, they would believe that uh, ho- they weren't any good for hog dogs because they bark on track, but they're coming around. Yeah, people people thought that over the years. Now, now, Jumpy, you probably don't like a... You've, have you ever tried a plot for coon hunting? I have, yes. Didn't work out, did it? No. <laughs> I knew I, it did. It was one of ours. It was one of ours. And it happened just like I thought it would happen for you. But <laughs> I'm a blue, uh, blue tick man. That's why he don't hunt with us. Yeah. What kind of what bloodline of blue ticks do you have? Echo, Echo, and that's a that's a line that kind of came out of southeast Oklahoma. Right, come from Lane. Yeah, Lane, Oklahoma. Yeah, what what are their strongest characteristics? Uh, cold nose, move track good, good tree dogs. I think they're Acc- pretty too accurate tree dogs. Most yeah. of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, I I started with blue ticks when I first started coon hunting, but. Anyway, I've joined the cult now, so I gotta have I gotta have plots. I had a guy that I coon hunted a little bit with last year. He really wanted to go with me. He said, and when I got down to it, he said, "Clay, I've never seen a plot tree of coon. I've always wanted to." <laughs> he hunted with a lot. He hunted with a lot of. I was amazed that people didn't know what one was. We went when I had a sign bull. They were puppies. We took them to a lot of uh, hog bands, and people, what are them plots? They never heard of them. 
Mm. They hurt them after that little series of summer things, though, because they went and won a lot they of stuff. They did good, huh? They did, and then the next year I went in there, I'm kind of a big head, thinking I was going to win everything, and they were grown dogs in, and they went and caught like a bulldog. It was over. <laughs> yeah. Straight up, never made a sound, just went in there and caught. So that was the end of their baying days. Yeah. Do you hunt a lot with Alvin? I used to. Don't anymore? Well, my knees hurt. <laughs> okay. 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 So. Now, you got plots, too, Brian. Yes, sir. Yeah. How many dogs you got? Oh, I'm, I'll be feeding 10 or 12 right now, probably. 10 or 12. Some yeah. coon dogs, too, though. Yes. All dogs, coon dogs. Right. Yeah. He's got a plethora of yeah. color out I've there. I've got my, my dog yard right now looks like I rated the pound, pretty much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Dave, you got any dogs? I got one dog. Yeah. What kind? Uh, she's an American classic. What does that even mean? She's a mutt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was going to say sit you or something like that, and I was going to. Yeah, I, yeah, I was about. I do was gonna <laughs> say like something, something a little. Okay, so you got you do have a dog. I do. Yeah. Where's yep. dog go when you go on these trips, man? Oh, she stays with a friend in Missoula. Okay. Yep. Okay. Hey, did y'all know? Uh, Dave reminded me of this today, and he told me not to bring it up. Dave's from New York. Did y'all know that? You're a Yankee. Upstate, <laughs> upstate New York. Yeah, definitely. About, He's not half bad from Elmira? being from upstate New York, is he? No. Oh, that's, that's bottom in it. Yeah, that's that's downstate. How'd you end up in Montana? Speaking of stuff they do up north that we don't get to do down here, Dave killed an elk last week. Hey, I did do that. You did kill an elk here in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. This is Gunny. Dave, why don't you go sit in the truck? (laughs) (laughs) Sherry's got a story to tell us. (laughs) Yeah, Sherry, just you killed an elk in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to you, Dave, maybe if we have time. That's fine. When did you kill an elk? It was like their third season, wasn't it? Second or it was third about season. Five years ago, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, they they had they had got an, they started getting an established herd in certain little pockets of southeastern Oklahoma, and, and I guess it was I mean I quote me on any of this stuff, you know, but it's <laughs> seven or eight ten years ago they started having a season, and we had the property we hunt, which is the property you're hunting now. It and you've seen pictures of them. They come to this year on some cameras, but. Yeah, and there was some some in there, and you know, and we started entertaining the idea of trying to kill one, you know. Oh and, yeah, and that's there. There was a quota. That yeah. where did they come from? Where did they turn high out? fence ranch? <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. Oh, literally, they got loose from a ranch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow, yep. but now they're regulated by the state. Yeah, yep. the whole wow. state is cutting four quarters. Only in Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. So then, like out west, there's no quota. You know, and some so of the places. So you killed a cow elk out there mm-hmm. in, in the quota. That was the last one tag. Yeah. Yeah, she was the yeah. last one. We the had, to, had to call her every morning, you know, to make sure the quota's filled. And we had some that was coming around some of our stand sites and it on the camera, you know, and she just kept playing cat and mouse with them, you know. And I said, they're going to fill the quota before you get to <laughs> kill one, you know. And she called that evening and and uh, she said it's still open. I'm going hunting, which me and Reese went hunting too. We were, were actually youth hunting. Me and my daughter. It's the first day of youth season. And, my daughter had actually killed a doe, and then uh, we'd shot the doe, and then we recovered the doe, and a few minutes, my phone started ringing, you know, and when we're, sh- when we're hunting, you know, getting a text message, not nothing unusual, but when you start getting phone calls that sh- good shooting light at the end of the day, you know, something's going on, you know, and I got a, I got a cow, you know, and everything. I'm like, well, where'd you hit her, you know, and everything, and she tells me all this stuff, and she said, I'm going to get down and look for blood, so here we are, tending to a doe, you know, and everything, so mm-hmm. I'll go walk to the truck, get the truck, drive down there with the doe's at. By the time I get down there, Sherry's found the cow, you know. And she tells me, she's like, it's such and such, you know, and tells me how to drive right to where she's at. And uh, she's like, how are we going to get out here? I said, I remember she gives me a hard time about this. And, I, and I've been around, I'm not, I'm not out west guy, you know, but I have been elk hunting. I turned and seen a cow before. And I mean, me and a couple guys loaded it in the back of a truck. So I was like, man, I can get it up in there, you know. I, she's like, what? I'm like, I can get it up in the back of this truck from drive right there close to it, you know. So I'm driving around talking on the phone, you know. And uh, 
still thinking I can get this elk in the truck, and I was dead wrong, and she's giving me a hard time about it. I had to end up. <laughs> How much do you think it weighed? Man, I don't know. He couldn't it turn was, it over by I so. couldn't flip it over. And he's a big It man. was the lead cow. It was the biggest cow in the group, you know. Yeah, I don't there see was a, stuff. There was an immature bull in there, <laughs> and she she was going to shoot either the bull or whatever. You know, it was just kind of whatever, you know. It wasn't once-in-a-lifetime deal. I don't ever kill no, no one, No, I was you know? after the big yeah. one. And she was after whatever, you know, but she got a chance to shoot that big cow, and, and it was the biggest cow in the group. I don't know, 500, 600, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I really don't know. It's big. Yeah. Too big for me to put in the back of a truck. Too big. <laughs> yeah, yep. I just run my daughter's hunt. She said, you just had to up me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, you killed a little scrawny bull up in Montana last His week. His was a little Tell more impressive. I saw that. pictures. Oh, yeah. In the snow. It's my first bull, so I was pretty stoked. Yeah, so you moved from New York to Montana like five or six years ago. Almost eight now. Eight years yeah. ago. Yeah, I'm pre-COVID and pre-Yellowstone, so I feel like I'm in the clear. You know? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, okay. So yeah. tell so people that move there after COVID, there's like a certain type of people yeah, that you don't want to be demog- associated with? Well, the demographic's been changing, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, for gotcha. sure. So, um, but yeah, killed a bull last week. My first bull. Been chasing him with a bow for quite a few years and a rifle, but uh, spent like 20 days in archery this season. Missed one. And then uh, third day with a rifle. Got lucky. How big was how big were the how big was the rack? He was a six by six. Yeah, he's not a giant, but a, a good. I feel like a good. I was impressed representation. By him. Of, did you see the picture? Yeah, of I did. It, Jerry. Yeah. yeah. You were how far from the truck when you killed it? Uh, I was pretty lucky that I was only like two and a quarter miles because there were some points in archery two and a quarter season. Miles. <laughs> yeah, there were some points in archery season. Out. I was pretty far out. Um, so I I shot it like two o'clock. And then that evening, I quartered it up. I was by myself, quartered it up, took out a front quarter and all the loose meat. And then the next day I went in with a sled. I was a little far away from home, so trying to call friends to come help me pack out. It wasn't really really working out. So the next morning I bought a sled, hiked in, put the other three quarters on a sled and dragged it out. Yeah. Wasn't too bad. You need to get you one and pack Pack llamas. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, that's what he needs. I need to get a mule. I need to talk to Jumpy about buying one of them mules. Oh, man. Yeah. We yeah. got. I got about 10 of them over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't say that. Jumpy's a mule man, too. Right. Hey, we were going to talk about our uh, squirrel hunt. You and Alvin. Yeah. I wasn't invited. Brian, Brian Ringles and Alvin came up and squirrel hunted with me in February. We were just going to hunt pretty much one day, right? And y'all brought your horses, and I had the mule, and we had a uneventful squirrel hunt in terms of killing squirrels. But we went to a big property, and I had my two feists, and, and they hunted out in front of us while we rode down some just basically old roads. And You um, killed your eye. Yeah, that, that <laughs> was, that's all I can remember, is that I was riding to a tree, and the dogs were treed. Mm-hmm. And I took a stick in the eye, which, I mean, isn't terribly uncommon. I just kind of thought I could just blank it out. And, man, it just kept getting – it probably happened at, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I, I had already shot the only squirrel to be shot. <laughs> yep. And what happened, actually – I'll get this story for all the okay. listeners. Okay. You know, what actually happened was the squirrels were starting to move pretty good, and we were starting to get a lot more trees. And Clay knew I was fixing to put on this squirrel shooting <laughs> exhibition. And I guess what happened, yeah, Brian? It, it, 
it was I don't clearly, know. I don't know if I witnessed it that way for sure or not. But <laughs> yeah. maybe I was missing something. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was something like that. It was something like that. <laughs> so you poked yourself in the eye. Where are you going, Dave? My chair just had a blowout. Oh wow! Uh-oh. Dave lost a chair. This is what happens when you've been sitting you know in a tree stand for a couple of days. Man, well, that's my new chair, rocking chair. My friend got me. We gotta. We got to, yeah, just go over there and get that chair. I like it when that kind of stuff happens to skinny people. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you feel good. Yeah. No, one's, no one's immune. He's got a new chair. No, so I was I was riding riding to the squirrel tree, took a stick in the eye. Didn't think, I mean, it hurt right away, but, I, I you know, probably a few minutes later, I was like, man, I took a stick in the eye. I can't really see on this eye. And, man, it, rather than getting better, it just kept getting worse. Because he was rubbing it. Well, probably. Yeah, two hours later, I couldn't hardly see out of either eye. And it was like probably 1 o'clock, and these guys had driven hours to come up here to hunt for one day, and I couldn't see. Alvin had to drive my truck, drive me to the eye doctor. Well, I don't. Even, did you take me straight to the – No, I took you home, and Misty had came to get you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, I went to the eye doctor, and I had scraped five layers off my cornea. Which sounds worse than it than it is. They put a medicated contact lens over your eye, and basically that's all they do, and it and it heals. But anyway, that's and all I wonder, can think about. It's what y'all wonders remember you about didn't that? lose your eye after the fabrication of the eye patch that we did out there in the woods for <laughs> what you. What did we do? I forgot. <laughs> Cut a piece of a saddle blanket off or something. I can't remember, <laughs> and you tied it around your head with a yeah, piece of like, hay string or something. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> pirate. Imp- it was pretty primitive. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it. the it light was killing it. Yeah. No, I told Alvin this the other day. So, I'm relatively new to the equine world i mean i was an adult when i started riding quite a bit and um we were riding so so when i go with people that have been around you know have have been riding and doing stuff their whole lives i'm paying attention trying to learn something when i was when when we were riding we we came to a a rocky a real steep rocky bluff and uh and I didn't blame Alvin a bit. He stepped off as we rode through some pretty rough stuff. And when we came to this spot, it was brushy and a, about a probably a three and a half foot drop of slick yeah, it rock. Was, it was slanted real bad too. You know, it was a potential sliding down area. You know. Yeah. And uh, man, I I mean, I think any horse guy, mule guy, would pride himself on not getting off. And so I would be in that category. But when I saw you get off. I I went and looked it over and was like, you know what? I think I'll get off too, which is pretty rare. It's a pretty rough little spot. So me and you just led our your horse, my mule down this little deal, and he Brian's coming off, up. He? Brian's coming up behind us on his Mustang. Yeah. And and I just know he's about to get off, and he doesn't get off, and he does the man from Snowy River deal <laughs> off the off of this thing and leans back, and his back was on the butt of that horse. And I was impressed. I was thoroughly impressed with that—that that you didn't get off your horse. That was probably just pure D laziness on my part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just didn't want to get off. <laughs> Tell me about your horse. What kind of horse you got? He's a Mustang out of uh, a range in Nevada. Is where he come out of. What so I've he got was too. Born a wild horse. Is that the yeah, one you had out here? The paperwork. No. Okay. Uh, I've got two of them, but. He was the paperwork on him says he was a four year old when they gathered him off the range, mm. and I've been using him since he was about ten. 
I okay. bought him. I bought him already broke from some more guys that had actually been roping calves on him hmm. and using him on a ranch. But uh, he's made a nice hunting horse, and he's actually on his way back from New Mexico elk season right now on the second gun season. Some boys borrowed him and took him out there. Really? Yeah. What is there legitimate stuff about what those a Mustang would be better at than just a regular horse that had been bred and raised in captivity? I think so. Well, it's just got to do with the same as about, you was talking about line breeding the dogs and stuff like that, you know. I mean, they're just, the the hybrid vigor is there and the survival of the fittest has been there from natural selection for so long is Mm. what makes them, their gene pool so much different, you know, from the domestic horse that we raise I see. Here, you know, has been so. So bre- they're, they're actually selecting for characteristics of survival that work for a horse on the range. Naturally, that happened, you know. Yeah. Yes. To where we've selected for different performance aspects on the in the quarter horse world or whatever the other you know yeah. domestic horse might be. So that's the difference. They're just naturally selected for brains toughness you know they don't have feet problems they don't have teeth problems they, i think you can't beat them on being tough that stuff weeded itself out you know yeah you can fix a colt's feet with the shoes but you they're born that way if they don't have feet right feet they die right i see what you're saying yeah. now that brings up a good question and we, we're going to get to talking about rt soon enough okay I, I people ask me this and i don't have a good answer i like having good answers when people ask me stuff Every, today, most modern horses have to be shod or they'll go lame. I mean, it, for the most part. It, or is that its true statement? Well, depending on their job, that can be a true statement, yes. You know, there's a couple of reasons. This is going to be very broad, but there's a couple of reasons to shoe a horse, and it's, it's going to be either to for protection or some type of podiatry that they need to overcome a genetic issue. Okay. You know, and so, yes, most performance horses today have to be shod in some way or another because they kind of let that part of the selection and the breeding be on the back burner for so long. So that's why a wild horse wouldn't have to have had shoes a thousand years ago was because he was selected for having good feet. Well, yes, that's true, you know, unless they have some type of job that they're wearing off more than they can grow back. You know, I mean, even uh, I read a book just the other day that said that there was some, some of the Apache Indians even would cut a piece of skin off of the hip of their horse whenever they was riding one and he was about to give up on them and put that over their foot, you know, so people have been half a horse. Yeah, actually off the same horse they were riding, you know, and. But they didn't need wow. to be shod for purposes like balance and podiatry and that kind of thing where you was correcting genetic issues. They yeah. just had to be shod because you were wearing more foot off than they could grow back. Yeah. You know, in rough, rocky type terrain, you know, so. That makes sense. It depends on their job. And if I a, have a good if a cutting horse stud can get down on his belly and cut a cow like no other and he's got a crooked foot, he's still getting bred. And he's still passing them genetics on down their line. I see exactly. what you're saying. So if there's yeah. one that's real good at this yeah. other stuff, yeah. feet aren't that big a deal. You can fix the feet with a farrier. Yeah. But not in the wild. But not in the wild. Right. Yeah. 
That's why me and Jumpy ride mules. Right. <laughs> right, Jumpy? Right. <laughs> oh, Jumpy's a mule man. I heard he has one that loves him, is what your wife told me earlier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mad Ann Bailey. Yeah, that's what she called it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. All right. R.T. Stewart, secret agent man. What'd you think, Alvin? What stood out to you? You know, uh, when I first started listening to it, the the part about leading double lives, you know, and kind of messing with him, his mind, you know? Yeah. That was something I never would have thought of, you know? It's kind of like, oh, I never would have thought of that, you know? Yeah. And that really was probably about as interesting. I mean, that was probably the most interesting. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I mean, I'm looking forward to episode two where he talks about some of the different, you know, uh, jobs he was on, you know, and yeah, and what what some of the things were that were happening that they put a stop to and stuff like that. But from the first one, that was pretty much what was kind of something I never would have thought of. Kind of, kind of come across yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know how his wife. He was married, right? He was. How she took it? Because you can't tell me if he's leading a double life. He wasn't leading a hanging mm-hmm. out with buddies, partying, drinking. That well, he. <laughs> RT is very open about this stuff. It's in his book. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I can say this. And he even said it on the podcast. It just didn't make the cut, but like he, he lost his wife. Well, okay. He, he lost his marriage. Yeah. Uh, during that time. And he, ta- he's real open about it, about how he, uh, it, it, yeah, it did affect his marriage. And I felt, time. I felt sorry for him when he said, you know, I, I, I didn't go to graduation and stuff. He, he didn't get paid yeah. enough for that. Yeah. And they already say, you know, he regretted he wouldn't do that. He, you know, wouldn't do it again. You know, did it strike y'all as, and this is an honest question to any of you, did it strike y'all as unique that he was as open about that stuff as he was? I mean, about like making mistakes. Because, I mean, it seems to me like people would hide that. Well, or, or, <laughs> or just find a way to justify it or blame it on someone else. I mean, it's like we have all these mechanisms to deal with kind of the way we've maybe messed stuff up. And he was just like, yeah, I I pretty much I Is he not up. worried about, because I mean, he wrecked people's lives. And I mean, I, I guess he's messing with Hines. That's different. But they you mess with a hillbilly like that. You know, they still could come get you 20 years later. <laughs> They're not yeah. going to forget. I yeah. just wondered how, if he, that in the back of his mind. Yeah, if he, if he was ever worried about mm-hmm. retaliation yep. from people. Some people are just more open than other people. I mean, some people will talk about things that it's like it's nothing, and some people won't. Whenever. Tell us about all your failings, Alvin. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean <laughs> He's perfect. He's perfect. He's he perfect. has none. But, has but none. also, too, I just had this thought when you were saying that, you know. I mean, this guy lived a, a live a life for so many years. It may be a breath of fresh air for him to tell you everything you want to know about himself. Right. Yeah. Could be. I mean, it. Would you do it, Jumpy? So, ask that again. Do Would what? you do that? Go undercover and leave your daughter? No. Your grandkids? I wouldn't have made a good undercover. Yep. Do y'all do y'all work with any undercover agents? Yes. Drug yes. people. Drug people, yes. So how would that work with with your I mean, can you talk about that? Uh, I mean, not probably not a whole lot, but uh when we have something going on. We'll we'll call some of them guys and have them come in and try to make some buys or something. Yeah, for us. Yeah, kind of yeah. works along the same lines with what what RT was doing. Yeah. What did you think, Jumpy? Just uh, overall. Well, I tell you, a whole lot of things he talked about I can relate to. 
and uh, I was really intrigued with the psychology part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, first off, you know he's got a pen full of blue ticks. I got a pen full of blue ticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was thirty five when he started law enforcement. I was thirty five when I started. Yeah. So, but the stress, you know, it's unbelievable what kind of stress a police officer goes through. Mm-hmm. And I could just only imagine what he stressed, this constant stress like that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was so fascinating when that psychologist, Dr. Matthew Sharps, was talking about how humans were designed to handle acute stress, which is acute means short-term stress, because of our hunter-gatherer roots, but we don't have any mechanism for long-term deal with chronic stress. I love that guy, man. I When we contacted him, he's from uh, California State University, I think, in Fresno, and I was I, I was very happy that he was pumped that we were a hunting related podcast. Like he I wasn't so sure if he knew what he's getting into. But he was like, "Oh yeah, he he he's studied quite a bit about uh he had he had a lot of knowledge, but I thought that was a insightful thing I would have never thought about that even the way we're wired is built for uh you know, kind of comes back from our background what, what anything else stand out to you jumpy yes he got close to some of those guys and uh i relate the same way with some of the some of our inmates that we have people that we arrest of course i, I was raised here in Cole county it's a small county <laughs> yeah so yeah. i know most of the people that we're putting in jail yeah and i have work crew and a lot of times i'll get the guys out and they'll walk down the highway picking up trash or a mole cemetery well you get kind of in about 90 percent of the guys once they get in jail and get sobered up they're pretty good people pretty decent people mm. but you kind of get uh kind of get a relationship with them you know kind of become friends yeah and it's, it's easy to get close to them yeah to to them guys like that yeah and uh but I just make it clear with them, you know, some of, some of the ones we put in jail, they're deer hunters, they're coon hunters, hog hunters, and some of them's just bad people. They're never yeah. going to get any better. But when they get out, the ones we get close to, they get out, and they know they get out there and get to messing up again that, you know, they're not going to get no break. They're going right back to jail. Yeah. Yeah. So. So you're saying the relationship maybe helps, helps them stay straight in the future? Not very many. No? No. They all, when they, when they go to jail, get straight. So we're not doing this again. We're not coming back. Most of them's back within a few months. All right back in the same crowd. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If they don't change the company they run with and don't get a job to keep their hands busy, stay out of trouble, they end up right back in jail. Most yeah. of them do. Not all of them, but most of them do. Yeah. They end up right back in jail. Most yeah. of them do. Not all of them, but most of them do. Yeah. You know, whenever I look at pictures of my kids from the past year or even just a few months ago, I'm so amazed at how fast they're growing up, and then it hits me hard. I'm getting older, too. That's why planning for my family's financial security has become a top priority. 
making sure we're prepared and having enough life insurance in case something unexpected happens and I'm out of the picture is crucial. And Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to get the protection that's right for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents and for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's M-E-E-T fabric.com slash bear meetfabric.com slash bear policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions montana knife company was founded by josh smith one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths he's been making knives for 30 years made in the usa and manufactured locally in montana The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives And the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Would would you think that a guy like RT, like his life would have really been in danger with wildlife criminals like he was dealing with? No, not around here. You wouldn't. Really? Uh, I don't know had laws are in Ohio, but in Oklahoma the wildlife laws are all misdemeanors and how really? are yeah how are they in ohio i don't know because we have the lacy act here of course that's if you cross take a right. legal game across state line yeah that's a felony but most just like somebody going out here poaching deer that's 
a misdemeanor, you know, a fine. They rarely put somebody in jail. They do, but it's not real common. Really? They'll, can you they'll lose get your hunting license? Yeah, you can lose your hunting license over. See, now that's, I wouldn't take a chance on that. <laughs> yeah, a lifetime hunting license, I think you could lose that. I got a lifetime. Um, I think I definitely there were some felonies given out to some of the guys that yeah. he was he was after. It almost have to be to justify the time and money spent putting into it. I'll, for not I'll being go ahead and do a spoiler for the the next episode. Um, he he tells a story where he's with these guys, and basically his, his undercover world means that he. He cannot. He, he can break the law. Like he could actually go shoot a turkey, if he felt like it was in the name of keeping his cover and was going to help bust these guys. Like so. So these undercover guys have some liberty to do the work that they need to do. And in all his work, he only killed one illegal animal, which I thought was pretty incredible because he was on hundreds of illegal deer and turkey kills. Hundreds. It sounded like an awesome job. Party, run around and shoot crap. <laughs> I wouldn't want to come home either. Sherry, you just exposed your deep motivation. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but he said the one thing that he couldn't do in his undercover position was knowingly commit a felony. And one time he was with these guys and he's driving the poach coach <laughs> and they go into a gas station and rob it and come back. He just He's out there pumping gas and has no knowledge of it. And... He, uh, it's a total spoiler. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's just a cool story hearing him tell it, but basically they come back out and they're like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he's like, what, what happened? What's going on? And <laughs> they had robbed the store and he turned on his video cameras so that the video would pick up that he didn't know about it. So he, he was like, man, I had no idea you guys were going to do that. And they were like, well, it would just happen. We, you know, they, and he he wanted it because he would have gotten in trouble. And turns out there's a lot of liability with being an undercover agent. He was constantly worried about him get himself getting in trouble. Right. But the other thing that happened, spoiler alert too, is that he he's with these guys one night and uh they're they're plotting to kill a guy that had turned them into the game warden. Like literally he is Overhearing a conversation. So well, no, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't even that straightforward. He had somehow had his uh, uh, surveillance equipment on, and he overheard the guys in the poach coach talking about how they were going to kill such and such and such. Like had a plan, but he didn't hear it in person. He didn't hear it in person. He goes back and listens to the tape. Hears them plotting this murder. But in Ohio, for a conversation to be recorded, at least one person in the conversation has, has to be to aware of what's happening. Does he right. count as that? No. no it so he calls his boss and he says, hey, we got a sticky situation. These guys are going to kill this guy. And I know this, but I know this illegally. And, I, and so what do we do? And basically the boss was like, we just got to ride it out. And anyway, they ended up not killing the guy, uh, but uh, just constantly finding himself in oh, for a pretty wild situations. Yeah, and I mean they were rough folks, man. Rough folks. I thought it, the I said it early on in the podcast, and it was stuck with me. And I was like, man, 
he said, uh, and uh, correct me if I heard it wrong, but he said that every person he was investigating at some point in time during the course of the the mission or whatever, they had questioned him about, are you a proud, are you a undercover? Yeah. Every, every one of them. And I thought, I mean, first thing I thought was, I mean, if, if I think you're undercover, you saying, no, I'm not, is not good enough for me. Yeah. I don't understand why. I think why. why it took 11 months what? of him doing shady crap to yeah, quit I, saying I crap. guess maybe so. I don't know. I thought, <laughs> I mean, I can't believe, I can't believe no one figured out. I mean, I guess he's good, 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 good at what he did, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you think about it, every single situation, he was the new guy. I mean, just because they didn't know him from childhood. I mean, like, literally, he was the new guy. And in every situation, he was deep in with these guys and was going out and poaching with them big time. So, I mean, I I think sometimes it was joking. It would just be like, man, I bet RT's a game warden. <laughs> Dave, what do you think, man? You said you had some serious thoughts. Well, I have some thoughts, yeah. I don't know. It seemed to uh, – I don't know to the extent of what he was catching people doing, but it – I mean, like you said, he, he got close to some of these guys, and he's like – he knew he was about to ruin their lives. And I don't know. It just seems – like going undercover like that for that long it seems really deceitful and for i imagine most of these situations these guys were doing crimes far beyond just like shooting some, You'd some have to turkeys be and to go in and do that and yeah that'd be more than and deer but yeah it just seemed a little it seemed over intrusive is what yeah, you're saying yeah a little little icky almost seems cruel for, almost to go in there and do that for Wildlife violations, you I know, you. they're not, I mean, they're not shooting the last rhino or, yeah. you know, <laughs> or that, well, let me say this, selling if, drugs. You, if you read the book, which the book is called Poachers Were My Prey, and it, it's a very well-written book, Chip Gross, the guy that was on there, he, he wrote, he actually wrote the book, and it, it, the book is very well-written, uh, it's like, well done, and all of these, anything RT was called on was pretty major. I mean, for instance, there's, and I, I won't talk about this. RT doesn't talk about this, but one of the chapters was about poachers from West Virginia that were literally carting for years enormous amounts of deer, turkey, squirrels, any any kind of meat that they could get, taking it to Cincinnati, Ohio, to sell to restaurants. Really? And, yeah. Uh, oh, that's not legal. Yeah, normally you got to oh. pay extra for that kind and of so thing. And so RT, yeah, so RT goes there and uh, and he's like, these guys are selling to these people. And and uh, they, you know, he infiltrates and like, it's like this super underground thing. And basically they were putting it in stir fry for real. The whole whole chapter about it, like that's pretty serious, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. and then the Let's other start. guys, like when he got real, the guy he talks about that he got so close to, those guys in 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 he he worked that case for like seventeen months. RT himself was on with one guy was on 
he, he couldn't even remember how many turkeys before season that guy poached. He said, oh, probably around, he said between 40 and 60. What'd they do with them? I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of turkeys in one season for one guy. A lot get- of turkeys. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. So that's why they're going to that extent. But, uh, yeah, they're not trying to catch a guy out here that's, you know, trying to feed shooting his over his limit of squirrels. Yeah. yeah. What? A, I mean, I guess it's trying to get the, the, the bigger guy and probably take down more people, but I don't understand how you can go along with 40 to 60 turkey kills. And just, I mean, right. at some point in time, this is what we're trying to stop. Well, and he, he talks about that. And all that stuff is like very much on their minds. And what they were doing was um, they had, by the time he was going after one guy, and by the time he was done, they had 26 people that were deeply involved in this that he had evidence on. And so, like, you know, maybe they've got this guy, but they're still working on this guy, and the sting has to come down at one time. So they say, hey, man, we need two more months. And during that two-month time, he's got to maintain his cover and do his stuff. And he actually said that. He said there came a point when we just had to say, okay, enough is enough. For the people of Ohio, we got to bring this down. So if you read his book, he's going to explain all this. He explains it all. Because I'm going to have to read it because I just can't wrap my mind around yeah. all that for – I just it's can't a cost re- reward people poaching deal. It's a cost that much. I can't, for me. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. pretty wild how they much they're poaching. talking about buying new vehicles and renting houses for That's years a lot of at money. a time, and I started thinking – I mean, I would. I started trying to imagine in my head, uh, actual like a analytical sheet, you know, that showed how much money they spent and all the actual convictions they got, and started trying to just imagine it. What it, I mean, it's probably going to break down to millions of dollars, you know. For I mean, obviously several several convictions, but yeah, kind of. I mean, natural resources got to be protected, but at some point in time, you can't spend billions and millions of taxpayers' dollars, you know, but, but like you say, there's some pretty big cases, you know. Yeah. How does that I wonder, work on I wonder, I wonder how that money could have been spent towards, like, yeah, habitat restoration. I started restoration thinking about how many or... of these guys we got to fire to buy a bunch of public land. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, those are legitimate questions. I think, I mean, first of all, back in the 90s, I think they were on such shoestring budgets. The actual money that they spent on these things was relatively small you know but i think wildlife enforcement over the years it's almost like uh what do they say there's there's some there's some uh if 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 people know that that's going on and that they're seeing people go to jail and get felonies for stuff it's it kind of it yeah. it's, it's like having an unhunted population of grizzlies in the west they get super aggressive because there's no penalty for doing bad. When there's a penalty for doing bad, it kind of filters through the whole system. That, that's the way I think about undercover. Is that? I yeah, mean, it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Just because, I mean, you know, if all I have to do is dodge a guy in a uniform, I mean, maybe that's, I mean, there, there's ways to it's do that. It's a game. <laughs> even even uh, Russ Arthur, the, the, the Forest Service agent who – interviewed Louis Dell and or, or try, which worked on Louis Dell and Charlie Edwards. He the first thing he said to me is he said, "Clay, how hard is it for a, a a single poacher 
to evade one man that has to cover seven counties. You know, it, basically he was like, it's not hard to get away with breaking the law. And, uh, and so anyway, the undercover thing, though, kind of filters out. And it's like, holy, holy smokes, we better be watching ourselves. Yeah. How bad did that bother him knowing that he was putting these men in jail for stuff that he was doing right along with them? Well, I, I think that's just part of the job. It's kind of like, you know, do, it, does a bull rider get upset when they get hurt? It's like, well, they ride bulls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kinda, I think that's just part of the deal, you know. I mean, it would a, bother me that I would, I mean, you know better than him to a sense because you're going along with it. Well, yeah. and that's kind of what I built up in the thing is that, like, it's it's an odd philosophical and ethical position to go and break the law in to the name the of the good guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this uh, undercover agent deal being a deterrent, you know, like you were explaining, that makes great sense. But I, I had a thought on that right there. You know, I mean, it's originally, it's it basically blows your cover. You know what I'm saying? I mean, once when, once when you make a bust. once a big bust happens in Southeast Ohio, you're not making a you're not infiltrating no more poaching rings in that area for a long, long time. I mean, it's just big news. Everyone knows the undercover, and they and it comes out in news stories. You know, and how many years they had involved. Well, and, and there's poaching rings that probably like it probably just helped them. You know, I mean, which okay, you got one of them. I guess. If you read the book, and there's no way that you know an hour podcast is going to give you the all the details of this book. Here's the way it would go down is a lot of times they wouldn't – well, this doesn't directly answer your question. I see what you're saying. But as far as RT goes, he was able to work in the same general kind of southeast Ohio for his whole career because a lot sometimes they didn't even know who the undercover guy was. Yeah, it was before social media and Yeah, stuff. I don't think you could buy that now because you can I reverse mean, image search and find, you know, find anything. Yeah, there would be. I mean, every, if you wanted to, every yep. platform of social media available that people's looking at twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Nowadays, it'd be blowed all over it, you know. And it would be. <laughs> well, I mean, if someone didn't, didn't read saying, a newspaper though, back then, never is that they might not even know. They would just be like, "You remember that Bob Thomas guy? He was my neighbor for two years, and then he moved." So back did he? Did he come out? When not the, always at the trial. Of these yeah, but not always. What I'm saying is, they don't necessarily have to know who it is. They, they just, just have. They you. just have to know that One's we got to be careful. Yeah, they're using undercover agents now, yeah. and and therefore no one's safe. Even if they don't, no one they're not they're not infiltrating infiltrating that group of people because they're hey, they're aware now. The other thing that I learned in this is that they're also what they call I think they do they call it witting informants. Does that phrase make sense, Jumpy? Where basically where if you were if if you were a bad poacher and there was somebody close to you that got arrested, they could come to him and say, make a plea deal with him if they'll help catch this guy. Oh, and yeah. So you could have a, a witting informant, which means uh, an informant that uh, is working along with the undercovers. So it could be your best friend. Yeah. That, but it's not a good life when everybody finds out about it. Though. No, it's not. It's a dangerous one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Of, it's there's a lot of, and he goes through the law, like uh, in the book, kind of like how stuff legally works. It's pretty interesting. But my question is, could RT catch Louisville? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Good question. Good. I question. don't think so. Man, he's like the ghost coon. You ain't I, catching him. <laughs> Did you listen to the 
Mm-hmm. The I did. Yeah, yeah, we're listening to it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say when Louisdale said, hey, are you a private investigator? And he said, nope. I'm going to say Louisdale would have followed up. <laughs> 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 yeah. He would have done some more research. He would have got a second Man, opinion. So yeah. y'all, y'all heard it on there when when RT, like I, uh, elephant in the in the room, when I said I've heard of undercover agents that like live in the area and drive a couple hours and just kind of have – and he said, oh, that's playing undercover. That's playing. Right. You know, he didn't know that I had interviewed a guy. And, and it, it was kind of, I can't throw Russ under the butt. That was just what they had available. He That's just the way they had to do it. They didn't have a big budget. He wasn't more, a trained more agent. More respectful for their tax dollars, wouldn't <laughs> Well, but I think if they had gone in and I think RT would have caught him. I think he would have too. No. I, I think he. It uh, sounds like RD's the goat when RT, it comes to this undercover T. stuff. I mean, yeah. RT. RT. He he sounded like he was probably as good as you could be at that job. Yeah, yeah. I think he's real deal. What yeah. was the what was the timeline that he was he was doing this? What years? Um, late eighties through eighteen years past that. So like the mid, you know, like two thousand six or four. Yeah. Well, I got he, a question for you. So I wonder how much. Uh, s- since the emergence of social media, they've had to they they haven't had to go undercover it's, as much. It's in, totally different, is it? People so when I it. so Russ Arthur, the Forest Service law enforcement guy that I interviewed, he he called the Forest Service before he talked to me, and just said, "Hey, is it okay if I talk to this guy?" And they were like, "Sure," and it, and he said it was because the undercover world is so vastly different. Used to, you could just show up and have an ID and say yeah, your I mean, name. And, they'd be searching Bob Thomas's social media for the last 20 years right now if you showed up. Yeah. Well, so it's different tactics. Here's my question. If they took that many turkeys, how did it affect the population in years after? <laughs> you talk to You're the biologists about to the biologists, I Sherry. figured you already had on that because I know turkey uh, density is a question thing you like well, to follow up on you know how it is that they were if you can kill 40 turkeys in a you year a, you're in a good turkey yeah. area number one um so they had a they had a robust population but how was it afterwards i i well you I need to figure know. that out i don't know you need to look into that yeah well they they it's it's definitely you know the in the, in the the ethical position is that for that is that Game populations are owned by all the people, so mm-hmm. that guy was taking more than his share. So he was taking game away from other people, you know. And so it sounded yeah. like they didn't have too many hunters back then. If you had that many turkeys, uh, that's no, a lot. They were of in a good area. They were in a good area. What do you think about it, Mister Farrier? Well, a couple of things jumped out at me about the that I just had never thought of before. But he's it makes you think about your own psyche a little bit, you know. But he said that he caught every one of those people basically by stroking their ego mm. you know putting them on a pedestal he said and so that'll tell you something about the human mind that wants to be bragged on that's why or, they get caught on social media now because they can't resist po- posting it yeah. yeah everybody likes to brag that's yeah. why i was wondering if they've had less agents since social media because they can just scroll through instagram and find them now yeah yeah and another thing that was a little bit stood out to me was a, I never thought of this but he said that 
he went into that job and done that for all those years and put up with all that stress and was very successful at it and was able to overcome all of the challenges of it, but he couldn't stand to go home and take care of his family. Is you know he's he couldn't stand the stress of taking care of his kids or fixing the roof on the house, but he yeah. can go undercover for years and handle that. You he know, was living a good life undercover. That's pretty wild. Yeah, I thought, but hey, that was selfish. Uh, it sounded selfish. He undoubtedly was getting some sort of rush out of it too. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was it was like a. I mean, it may not be probably wouldn't affect everyone the same way, but undoubtedly he may not may not may not say it and he may not even realize it but he undoubtedly was getting some sort of adrenaline rush i mean yeah he had no cares i'm not no, trying nothing. to say he's a bad guy enough i'm just saying it was it was probably like his feel well, he, oh he, he he talks about it and you know it, it's hard i talked to to him for almost four hours and y'all heard 30 minutes of it you know the podcast was an hour long but you actually heard rt talking for 30 minutes so I mean, like he he go he went into that. Oh, he he was like absolute adrenaline rush. He yeah, said constantly. Yeah. He said, "You walk into a new house with a guy, and you don't know what's about to happen. And at any second, your cover could be blown." He said it's just constant fight or flight, and he thrived on that. Yeah, I'm gonna say it was more that than it was. I mean, I'm not trying to defend a guy or nothing, but I mean, it was probably more that. Enjoying that, enjoying that adrenaline rush, and it was actually, you know, not being neglected. You know, I mean, he he let on like he's neglecting his house and his family and everything. You know, yeah. but it probably he he was neglecting it, but he wasn't neglecting it because he was a bad guy. He was neglecting it because this rush and this adrenaline rush was drawing him back so so hard. You yeah. know, as a yeah. mama, I, mean, I can't see anything I mean, that would take you from your kids though. I've made a yeah. comment Leaving about them like that. I when me and Sherry first got married. I mean, this is as irresponsible. I remember quitting jobs to deer hunt. Now, how stupid is that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, they don't make me a bad person, you know? I mean, but, uh, just a little but, bit. But, <laughs> but sometimes, I mean, sometimes you let things draw you yeah, away from absolutely. your responsibilities, you know? Is that why you don't, but he didn't leave us. Is that why you don't deer hunt anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I do the hunting now. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't see leaving my kids for that long. That would yeah. break my heart. Yeah. Yeah. There would be no adrenaline. That'd be almost like the druggies that say they can't get off of drugs for their kids' sake. Because they like that high too much. I'm not he was saying addicted. it's I'm not No, saying I'm it's saying good he is. He is like addicted to the high if he can leave his kids that long almost. Right. Sure. I was really glad to hear him say that. And, and the way he said it, I believed him. He said he said he has a really strong relationship with his kids now. I do, I'd like to question his kids and see how, how old were they? And, you know. And I bet they've got some t- stories that he don't want to hear. Oh, yeah. As adults, I'm they sure. may understand it. I'm sure. But as little, when they were little, I bet they didn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's where... It felt to me like he's taking responsibility for that now, you know. Yeah, and and that's that's good. I mean, that takes a lot to say that I I, I neglected my kids and I missed this this and this. Yeah. and he admits I, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, I yeah. caught myself all throughout that thinking, man, that'd be a pretty pretty cool job. You know, and then all of a sudden there'd be parts like, oh man, I couldn't do that, you know. Yeah. and it's just I was back and forth, and I'd be like, oh, it sounds like it'd be you know right down my alley, and then all all of a sudden, oh, I couldn't do that, you know. Yeah, and it's just so it's kind of one of them deals, you know what I mean. I'm sure there's things about it he didn't like, you know, throughout all that. But all in all, it's, it suited him to a T, and he's actually pretty daggum good at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, how, how long was he in law enforcement before he retired? You know, he, he worked 18 years undercover, but I think he was a couple of years as a uniform. Well, I know for sure a couple of years as a uniformed officer before that. So About 20 years. 20 so, plus, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of stress. 
20 years would be a lot of stress. How long are you going on? 17. 17. Yeah. He deals with a lot of stress. I deal with a lot of stress. He can't please Non-stop. everybody. Yeah. Now, uh, are you going to are you gonna run for sheriff next election? Yeah, we'll just see what Can happens. Can we talk between, about that? We'll just see what happens between now and then. Do you need us to help you with your campaign on Bear Grease? Oh, yeah. When is it? <laughs> is it next year? Nah, it's still a couple years away. It'd be you, uh, it'd be a year and a half actually. Jumpy, right? with your credentials, you would be the only sheriff at this time in North America that I know that we could put the whole Bear Grease brand behind to get reelected. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So <laughs> he's with a very the blue good ticks, the the mules. That uh, yeah, Brian, were you you had you had two great points there. Were were those? Do you have anything else to say? Well, I just had a question in my mind. I wonder, you know, I'm not taking nothing away from the guy, but how good would he have been without those informants? You know, his whole career oh, was yeah. set up on the informant thing, you know. Absolutely. And uh, I know you got to have them. Had a good team. Do, had a good team. To do that job. <laughs> yeah. You know. And you know but, what those guys, when you're with him, and this is just stuff that couldn't, he talked about his boss and his all the people around him. All, he gave a lot of credit to other people. You know, he really did. I, you know, on the podcast, it's like I wanted to talk about how great he was. Yeah, yeah. You know, but is that what you're saying? Just like he was around a team of people? Well, yeah, that and, then you know, the, the so people that— If somebody snitching, he couldn't do it. <laughs> right. You know, if it wasn't for the— if it wasn't for the scumbag that would throw his own mama in front of a train to get out of trouble, he might oh, not I could have got some of those convictions. You I know? see what you're saying. But he also had a good close knit team, like you're saying, on his side too. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah. But that just goes back to me. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I, I put a lot of stock in honesty. You know, and whenever mm-hmm. a guy stands up and says that it's pretty much all, all uh, propped up on a lie, then I'm I got my guard up. You know. Yeah. But but I would be all for whatever tactics he had to use if he was out there catching somebody that was mistreating little kids or raping women or something like that, you know? So yeah. it's, it just, uh, I had a little bit of a question there about that. So you, but, you felt like it was a little too much, kind of like Dave, a little too much force for something. I don't like think we can wrap our mind I, around I th- anybody th- poaching th- like that. I think Dave know? and Brian both, I'm, I mirror what they're thinking too. You know, it's a little, it's a little extreme, but it's just like what Sherry just said is exact is a great point. It, I can't wrap my mind around what a poaching ring like how that. How bad yeah. something could be in a poaching world, you know? I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. And and I imagine too, if they're, I mean, if they're poaching that bad, then like you said, they held up I mean, gas stations, they're they were willing to, to kill, kill somebody. Guy, I mean, they're they're yeah. different. Oh, and you know, I came to him to talk about wildlife stuff. Lo- almost everything involved drugs, and I mean, they were getting and they were getting vi- they were getting convictions for everything. Like he was law enforcement, so he could. He could, uh, he didn't have just jurisdiction over a guy killing an illegal turkey. You know, if that guy's selling drugs or if this guy's doing, yeah. you know, whatever. And that just blows my mind how this guy got inside with these guys and talked his way out of drinking and driving. You know, he couldn't, wasn't supposed to drink and drive, you know, and didn't need to drink and drive. And, and they're obviously probably doing drugs around him, him not, not doing any drugs. I mean, how do you fit in with these these? scumbags you know what I mean? <laughs> well they sit on there like they had he'd show up with big horns and stuff like that and turkey fans that he got from the dnr oh uh, i so bad want to give a, the biggest spoiler he, he 
Okay. We're going to listen. Spoiler alert. I'm I'm not going to tell the whole thing. RT is on the stand. The the he he's in court. Looking at these people? All twenty six minus one of the guys that he is about to con- Ah, it's so complicated. It'll give it all away. Basically, they ask him the 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 the, the defense defense thinks had, they had can some get stuff RT on, him. Yeah. on drinking and drugs. And they straight up ask him, Were you ever drunk with this man? And our Ah, I, I, it's so good to hear RT tell it. I can't tell it, but he told him the truth. And then he said, uh, have you ever done drugs with this man? RT tells the truth. Anyway, it, it was incredible the way, the way he did it. And I, I'll tell you afterwards, I got to leave it as a, as a shocker for <laughs> yeah, everybody else. That's, that's in the next episode. But he, he navigated through all kind of wild stuff. All kind of wild stuff. It would have been a wild life to live. I know. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's what I said. I mean, it'd be a lot of fun. Well, hey, we've been uh, we've been going a while here. Closing thoughts. Hey, you okay? There is a set of shed antlers right over there. How big are those horns, Alvin? One ninety nine. One ninety six. It there is. I don't know. Is it a twenty five point buck? How many? I've points never even on? counted them. A buddy of mine scored them, but I don't. I've never even counted them. Giant set of non typical antlers that were found over here somewhere. Seven miles. And yeah, seven tell miles. me, tell me uh, what the guy said that you showed those to while you were working. <laughs> My brother-in-law found the, the first sets. match set uh, at the ranch house. In the feed yard. Brought them over to us, and I was like, whoa, you know, I mean, I know about, quite a bit about deer horns, and I was like, hey, them are not normal, you know, and they were like 170 inches, you know, and the next year he finds a single, and then ne- never did find the other one. And they're right behind the ranch house, like coming up behind the ranch house. He's finding Got them the when, he's, when he's feeding. He's not looking for sheds, you know, it just, and anyways, the next year he finds this final set, I guess. And uh, he brings them over to the house, and we got all of them in there. Give them all to us. He's not a deer hunter, nothing. Anyway, shed horn hunter. Anyways, I had them, and I, they're they're a magnificent set of horns, you know. So Beautiful I'm carrying them around, horns. you know, everywhere and showing different people, you know. And and uh, guy I worked with, and uh, a lot of comments about them, you know, different comments. Boy, I'd like to kill that one and all this, you know. And where are you working? You're working on uh, pipeline. Pipeline. Yeah. We're, we're doing yeah. a pipeline job with Tonga, and this guy was from uh, this guy was from, actually from Arkansas. He's an Arkansaser. <laughs> anyway, Arkansan. Anyway, he he's a dozer operator, and and I knew he was crazy fanatic deer hunter, you know. And and I was like, hey, check these out, you know. And he comes over and he gets his hands on them, you know. And he just kind of don't say nothing for a few minutes, you know. And he's looking at them and he's turning them this way and turning them that way, and and I'm kind of waiting for him to say something, you know, because it's kind of a moment of silent, moment of pause there, you know. And he he just looks me straight in the eye and he says, I'd go to jail to kill this deer right here. <laughs> or he said I would. His, his exact quote was. I would go to jail trying to kill this deer. And it, <laughs> I about fell over. I busted out laughing, and he didn't crack a smile. He was not joking. And I was like, go to jail over a deer? <laughs> Man, I can't wait. It blew my I mind. I can't wait for Mark Kenyon one day to hand me a set of horns, <laughs> and I'm going to— I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do just what Alvin's buddy did. I'm gonna look at and my I don't eyes think and say, a, I'd you, go to jail trying to. You'll kill have I don't think anybody killed not, him. You'll have a hard time not cracking a smile. Yeah, I don't think anybody well, ever killed that good, dude. It was really? a pretty good hideout yeah. deal because the guy that lived right behind a ranch house never would. He he n- denied it. I confronted him. I was like, Hey, you got pictures out there? No. What are you talking about? I want more some goodness. And then after the deer didn't show up for a couple of years and the horns didn't show up for a couple of years. 
And uh, to our knowledge, he, he finally admitted to it. And I actually seen daylight pictures of the deer. Oh, wow. He showed me daylight pictures of the deer. And he actually, you know, admitted to it, obviously showed me. But uh, uh, no one else, I never talk, talked to anyone else in that area that ever had pictures of that deer. But he did. He had Travis, a bunch of Travis And he hid it for him. several years. He didn't tell nobody. Wow. Kept no, I couldn't secret. do that. Brian, like, and, Brian and Rhino both know him. I'll tell you who it was when we get off here. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think any, because I think if somebody killed him, we'd have heard about it. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you'd heard about that. Because the, the processing plants right down the road too, and he knew about them. He'd seen all the sheds. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, boys, I'd I'd go to jail trying to kill that. Deer. <laughs> <laughs> I would this week, man. Me and Dirty Dave have been trying to kill. We'd kill one a lot smaller. We should have never showed. We should never showed him. Then and snuck out there and put uh, one horn in front of the camera. Well, hey, it's been fun having all you guys on. Jumpy, yes, you're sir. you're a big bear grease man. Do yes. you listen to the most bear grease podcasts? Several times over. Yeah. Probably your biggest fan. He well, needs autographs hat. <laughs> right on, You want my man. hat? He got me a hat. You want my hat? Yeah. Right on. He'll autograph it for Well, me. I appreciate it. I do. I appreciate it. Um, She's got my hat on. Don't, don't I got I mine on. put up. I was saving it. <laughs> oh. Got the Bear Grease hat. Not Closing now. thoughts, anybody? Art, this is your last chance to say anything about R.T. Stewart. If he I'm needs an assistant, I will take that job. I don't. Sherry, I can't be an undercover agent. I don't listen as as much it as I mean. I listen Alvin. to the stuff that when I flip through your podcast, real air. If it looks interesting, I'll listen. I'm not a faithful listener, but I'm really yes, looking yeah, forward yes. to this next one. I really am. I kind of want to hear the rest of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big dirty Dave. I'm excited to hear more. Yeah, yeah. And I'm crossing my fingers. Do you have we friends? get a we get a buck even close to that size walking uh, in front I'd, of us I'd, tomorrow? I'd, I'd I'd kill a buck. With just the amount of inches off of one side of his antler. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I should have known uh, you as a Yankee. You're wearing Crocs. Oh, Dave's got Crocs. Oh, uh, Way to go, Dave. Just <laughs> take my feet vibe right out of the... Rhino, Rhino wears them, too. Crocs <laughs> and socks. Uh-oh. Crocs and socks, the furrier. Not to work. On the boat. On the boat. <laughs> On the boat. Well, thank you guys so much. Been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, this is a this is the first podcast we've done in Southeast Oklahoma. So around the campfire, it's good. This is good. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his, then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.